Welcome everyone to the midweek edition of Couch Potato Diary, coming to you from the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio. Clearwater Cleaning Solutions offers commercial and residential cleaning in Calgary and surrounding areas. They follow a green clean program and are committed to providing products and services to clients that minimize the environmental impact while still delivering high performance. Check them out, Clearwater Cleaning Solutions. Dot com. Check me out on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I am at PrimetimeKlein. Twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. Having a lot of fun with the all-time Flames franchise on there. And you can email the show, CouchPotatoDiary at Yahoo.com. Shout out to Wasted Talent for the music. A lot to cover on the program today. So let's get right into it, shall we? Let's start with the NFL. Um, I have been surprised at the reaction of some for the NFL playoffs. Last weekend, not a banner year for NFL playoff action. Couple good games. That Cowboys-San Francisco 49er game was nuts. You have the Raider-Bengal game that goes right down to the wire. Aside from that, yeah, I don't know. Not the best. But the thing that's caught me off guard the most has been the reaction of some. And it's from some who should know better. It's the, well, maybe 14 playoff teams wasn't the answer after all. No shit. There was nothing wrong with the NFL playoffs. NFL playoffs were fine. Not a problem with them whatsoever. They didn't do this because of decades of analysis and the group of sports elders came down from high and declared that seven teams in each conference, not six, was actually the way to go. That's not how this works. This was about the money. It's always been about the money. It'll always be about that money. They wanted to get an extra playoff game on there. They made an extra like $70 million for getting those extra playoff games. You have now the two seeds in each conference, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs, getting an extra home playoff date out of this whole situation here. Now, I'm sure over the years we could find that that would even out. But still, you get a lot more money coming into the sport than you would have. So, yeah, no, this wasn't about, well, I think... We've had some great teams missing out, and we've missed out on two excellent games every season, so we need to change this. Eh, no, that ain't about it. It's about the money. And that doesn't mean 14 isn't going to give us some great years. There are some years we get amazing games, and some years we don't. And then, look at a couple of the blowouts that we had in this year's postseason. The Cardinals are making the playoffs in any playoff scenario I think we've ever had in the NFL. Same thing goes for the New England Patriots. They are getting in in the old system. They are still getting their asses beat in the old system. That wasn't going to change regardless of how many playoff teams you actually have. Maybe in the old system it's not quite as egregious because you don't have the number two seed, so they'd be facing the three seed instead. But still, that uh, wasn't going to go well for the Patriots. And the again, the Cardinals-Rams game, that one I think was always going to be a matchup anyway. So sometimes you just get shit games. It happens. Some years we get amazing Super Bowls. Some years we get ass kickings. And those are supposed to be the two best teams in the league. We forget this because we've had an actually pretty good run of close Super Bowls over the last decade or so. But a lot of times before that, they were kind of meh. It just happened that this year, it broke in a way where we got the Eagles and the Steelers. You have an Eagles team that never thought they were a playoff team until like three weeks ago. And there's, oh shit might actually get in. And you had a Steelers team that had definitely the worst quarterback of the postseason and a dude who couldn't do anything anymore. If a couple of things go differently, then we have Saints Chargers in there. We have Tom Brady against Sean Payton for the third time in a chess match for the ages that would have football fans drooling. And then you'd have Herbert against Mahomes. And we're talking about this new format being an absolute 
home run. It doesn't matter how many playoff teams you put in. Sometimes the games rock, sometimes the games suck. That is sports. We're set up for a pretty good weekend this weekend. If you don't like it, don't watch. Like, that, that, that is the thing. But you're going to keep watching, so, yeah, shut up. Also, can we all just screw off with the, well, I would take what we got in the CFL playoffs over what we've seen from the NFL this weekend any day? Sure, fine, whatever. If you are so desperate to include the Canadian Football League into this, then maybe... Uh, maybe this year would have been the case for one weekend. But more often than not, that is not a comparison that you want to draw upon the Canadian Football League. And again, I love the CFL. I absolutely adore everything that it is and everything that it isn't. But this is something that bugs me with the Canadian Football League. We can never just have something that's good. You have a, a pretty competitive Grey Cup game and some pretty competitive playoff games. A couple of the games that were... Ugh, but overall, I mean, A, if we're talking about quality of play... Let's not be shining a spotlight on the 2021 season, shall we? But also, even if it was just balls-to-the-wall fantastic, it, it, people in the CFL always have to go one step further. And to be fair to them, a lot of that is because they've been backed into a corner for so long with everyone talking about how shit the CFL is. Again, not a stance I agree with. Love the Canadian Football League. But everyone's like, oh, this is rec football. Why would anyone pay attention to this? Oh, look at all these car dealership uh, employees running around playing fake football. No, three downs. That's so stupid. Field's so big. Can't do anything. It, it does get a little bit tiring. So anytime the CFL does anything, you would be tempted to fire back. But it just, it, it takes away from everything when you have something good in the CFL and then you compare it to something that you cherry pick from the NHL or the NFL or whatever, and then it's, oh, well, now it's gone too far, and now you've brought comparisons, and now look at this, your fun thing doesn't look as fun anymore. The main thing to remember with all of these things, with the CFL, just let it be fun. Don't try to compare it to the NFL, you're going to lose that comparison a thousand times out of a hundred, and again, this is coming from a place of love, I'm just saying. And also, when it comes to all of these things, let's not pretend that any of this was about competitive balance in the slightest, this was all about getting an extra playoff game. Same reason why 16 weeks in, or 17 weeks instead of 16 weeks, it wasn't so we can really figure out who the best team is. It, it's so that they can get more money. That's what it's always been about. Moving to the National Hockey League. Last night, the Calgary Flames with a win over the Florida Panthers. And holy smokes, did they need that. It ends a four-game losing streak for Calgary. I believe it stops a nine-game point streak for the Panthers. And... The Flames showed last night what is the upper bound limits of this team. Like, that second period was best case scenario for them. They controlled everything. It was dominance, and then a bunch of great chances in the third period leads to a couple more goals. Like, they, they just, they played exceptionally well last night. And I have to eat a, maybe a touch of crow. I don't know. I don't think I was that hard on them. But I, I call out Noah Hannafin on Twitch and saying, like, it seemed like a lot of times over the last few games when the Flames had an issue, Noah Hannafin was kind of standing there watching or in a wrong place at the wrong time. And it did feel like he was trying to do everyone's job. Uh, last night, he was excellent. He leads the, the Flames in Corsi. He was just, he was, again, the stud that the, the Flames have thought they've had in him for the last couple of seasons. The thing with Calgary is always going to be the nights that they outplay the issues they have with the Daryl guys line, with Lewis, Richardson, and Richie, when they outdo, when they outperform the issues that line has, then they're going to be successful. When not everything else is clicking, then you're going to have issues. When Johnny Gaudreau is flying around like he has for, admittedly, a lot of nights this season, you might be fine. When Sean Monaghan is playing as well as he did last night, then things are going to be great. But he has regressed, and that line is giving you next to nothing. It is a black hole of a line. You are praying that that fourth line gives you nothing from a Flames perspective. So on a night where 
you have best case scenario from a few guys that aren't on that group, things are going to go well. But you just have this albatross that you're dragging around that you have to make up for. And then you you add that to the fact that Monaghan, one of the guys who has normally done a lot of the making up, is now one of the guys you kind of have to make up for on a night-in-night-out in, night basis. It just, you can see how this Flames team is going to struggle. And again, some incredibly talented people on this team. And you, you have a coach that you trust and a goalie that you trust. But you just see the limitations with how this team is built. And I think Trilliving is putting so many eggs in the Daryl basket. First off, you knew like this was the last coach that he was going to be able to hire, right? Like that that was just we know that going into this one. And then you get the conversation of well Daryl's tried to be the GM before. Is he going to do that? No, 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 no. But the fact that he has tailored this team so much to the style of play that Daryl does. And now there has to be a balance with this. And we'll talk about that a little bit later when we get to the basketball conversation. There does have to be a balance with that. Like you do, you're not going to get a run and gun team and then put in a coach from the 1950s in there. Like that, that would just be stupid. But they have taken on, I feel like, such a competitive disadvantage with that fourth line being as bad as it can be and as bad that as it has just because those are dudes who fit with Daryl's style that it, it just seems like such a leap and so much trust that True Living is putting into Daryl that he can get the most out of those guys because we know if this season does not go well, True Living is absolutely gone. Uh, and as it currently sits right now, the Flames are on the outside looking in, even with an amazing start and the West has been really good this year. Uh, at le- and some surprising teams uh, at the, the top of the, the Western Conference. But the, the Flames currently sit on the outside looking in, but now is the time to make up some ground. You have at Oilers, home Blues, at Blue Jackets, at Blues, home Canucks, at Stars, at Arizona, and then who knows what the schedule looks like. There, there's 20 days between scheduled games. That was for the Olympics. That ain't happening now. There's a few games that need to be made up. But for what we know, those are the next seven games. The Blues are a good hockey team. The Oilers, uh, in theory, can be a good hockey team, but there are teams in there you need to take advantage of. It's a seven-game stretch that I just brought up. The Flames, I think, need to get... 10 or 11 points in that area if they really want to be able to make a run at things because the schedule does not get any easier after that. But a big one for the Flames and a really impressive showing for Calgary against a very good hockey team in the Florida Panthers. Moving a little north, the Edmonton Oilers had a bit of a thing this week, uh, or I guess it was yesterday with the media. Uh, If you missed it, here's the audio. Did you think the last two years you've been second in your division and you showed a lot of maturity, but now you've lost six in a row twice. Did you think your team was past that, not getting into these long losing streaks? Sure, yeah. Um, Lots of reasons for why the owners are playing the way they are in terms of winning and losing. What do you think is the number one reason for the losses now. Is there is there one thing that you in your own mind you're saying we got to get better at that? Yeah, we ha- we have to get better at everything. Would you like to expand on that? No. Nope. You can do that. You know everything. Why are you so pissy, Leon? Hmm? Why are you so pissy? I'm not. I'm just I, answering your. Yeah, question. you are. Whenever I ask you a question. I gave you an answer. Not very good one. Okay. I have one more for you. Leon, you show your frustration on the ice last game against Ottawa. 
Is that a good thing when you show it so the other team knows you're frustrated? Yeah, it's a great thing, for sure. Good. Yeah. So, a little testy, or as some would say, maybe a, a little pissy between the two of them. These types of interactions happen actually more often than we like to think. Uh, and every time, people on both sides of it feel like the other side are just being the absolute worst. And as with most things, it, the, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Uh, could Leon Dreisaitl have uh, handled this situation a little bit better? Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, did Matheson need to ask why he was being pissy? Uh, no. And then to, to play the, the victim of the, well, when I ask the questions, like, get all the way the fuck out of here. I, I have no time for that. Um, I, I've said it before. The, a reporter's job is not easy. And, and again, I, I'm not coming from a place of, of strong expertise. I have been in scrums before, but I, I would... I was the furthest thing from a leader in those scrums. I was just a tall, awkward dude who stood at the back because I had a long enough reach that I could do that and didn't really ask a whole lot of the questions. I, I like to tell myself that it was because, well, I'm not doing this for any stories. I am just gathering audio. Uh, but it, it was really because I, I was uh, kind of shy and nervous. And I, to be perfectly frank, I think a lot of questions that are asked in scrums are really stupid anyway. And I don't fault the question askers for doing it. You, you're just, you're in there to get a, a bit of a clip and just kind of move on. So I, I just... Scrums are not my strong suit, is what I am trying to say. But that being said, like there's a way of going about them. And I've said this before, if reporters had to face questions like that, they would also get very frustrated. Like, if after the Oilers' last game, someone came to Jim Matheson, it was Jim Matheson and Leon Dreisaitl that you heard in the clip there, by the way. If someone came to Jim Matheson and was like, Jim, you've been covering hockey for a long time, but you've had a couple of bad takes recently. Did you think you were past this? I doubt that he's not reacting the same way. I, I don't think, I, I think that he would give you a response that would be, um, as some would call it, a little pissy. Players definitely act, could act a little bit less like having to do media is the worst thing in the world and a little less entitled. But the, I'm just trying to ask the tough questions is a bullshit line too, especially when you're going, well, um, uh, Leon, I, I think that, um, uh, well, maybe, may maybe like, what, what, what do you think the reason is that you guys aren't playing so well? Like, don't come out playing the tough guy when you, you I'm in awe your way through that. I, I get, look, no one knows I'm in awe more than I do, but you know, you're asking a question that someone won't like, and you know, you're probably going to get a response out of it. And a lot of times you're kind of goading guys into it. And it, it's just neither side handled that situation overly well and the, the media has I do think an important job of getting some answers from these guys but I, I do think I think you can do your job and I think a lot of people do pretty good jobs of covering teams without necessarily getting all of these quotes and that this has been a difficult time for the media and a difficult time for players having to sit in a zoom room and just answering zoom questions all the time like that can't be fun either and you are missing a lot of the one-on-one -on -one interactions and that's what a lot of people pointed out is that this could have been a conversation that happened away from the mic i think that is giving all kinds of benefit of the doubt uh, to the, the reporter in this case, because we've seen some people be shitty in scrums before too. So to, to act like this never happened, but and this is only a product of the Zoom times, is doing a remarkable amount of revisionist history. So the moral of this story is that the players could probably be less dickheads when dealing with reporters sometimes, but also as a reporter, you kind of got to understand Sometimes these dudes are human beings and they're allowed to be a little bit frustrated and maybe, just maybe, even though you're a hockey hall of famer, you didn't ask the perfect question and you probably don't need to be, why are you being so pissy about it? One last thing in this, the, and I, I saw this and it 
drove me up the wall. The the he asked questions to some of the greatest Oilers of all time, so maybe Leon Draisaitl shouldn't be so pissy. That is such a tired trope. It, well, this guy's been covering the league for 150 years. He knows a thing or two. All that means is you've been doing this for a long goddamn time, so the odds are you've locked into a good question or two over the years. That does just because you've done it for a long time just means you're good at not getting fired. I I don't. I I just I I've never been able to buy that. And look, I've. Um, in trying to apply for some of these jobs and going out there and putting myself out there, a lot of it is, well, I've been in the radio business for 10 years and it kills me every time that I do it. But I know that a lot of people focus on that dumb shit for some reason. I was probably better at radio in year five than I was in year like eight. Like that there's ebbs and flows to this just because you've been doing it for a long time. That doesn't mean a goddamn thing. So get that all the way out of here. In other hockey news, the Montreal Canadiens have their new general manager in Kent Hughes. I will admit, I don't know a damn thing about the dude. It was tweeted out so matter-of-factly. The Montreal Canadiens have named Kent Hughes as their new general manager. Well, you certainly said that in a way that it seems like I should know who this fellow is, but I don't have a clue. And I don't like admitting I don't have a clue when it comes to sports, but I didn't know who this dude was. And admittedly, probably still don't really. Uh, apparently a player, agent, or something along those lines. But I do think he's coming into Montreal in, in an interesting spot. You, you have Carey Price, who hasn't played. You have Shea Weber, who probably won't play. And you have Brennan Gallagher, who has played, but he's missed some games, and when he has played, he hasn't really played. So you have three key cogs on your team that aren't giving you what you would expect. If you want to do a full teardown on this team, I think you can actually do it. Like, I, I, and I think you can be relatively successful with it relatively quickly. You don't really have a lot of albatross contracts on this squad. You could make the argument about Petrie's contract, maybe not necessarily meeting with how his developmental curve is going to go post 35. But aside from that, like you have Hoffman on what looks like a team-friendly deal, and I think you can sell pretty easily that his season's gone to hell because our season's gone to hell. You have to fully on a team-friendly contract with some control if you want to, to really make a move there. But because you have these not awful contracts, I also don't think you need to do a complete teardown in Montreal. If... If you think Carey Price can come back, and if you think Carey, the Carey Price from a couple years ago can come back, then this isn't an awful hockey team. It's just an awful. It's just a, a hockey team that's having an awful season, and almost everyone is having worst case scenarios. Sometimes things just go to hell. I, I do think again, like just bouncing this back and forth. If Montreal wants to go out and just tear the whole thing down, the the one thing about maybe you don't have a lot of these like awful contracts you also don't have like the main trade piece out there like you're not getting uh, a player a pick and a prospect for any of these guys I don't think but you definitely can get a number of assets that can really help you and probably help you in the close to immediate future but I also do think that you can get enough by just moving out expirings that you can give it a go next year and hope again that Carey Price is the Carey Price that we saw the last time that we saw Carey Price you have a couple of young guys. You have Suzuki, whose contract is going to be a lot bigger next season. You have Caulfield, who we all expect to be very good. There are young pieces there if you want to build and if you want to tear down and try to build it back up. But I also, I really think that a lot of what's happened in Montreal this year has been wild overreactions. So it'll be interesting to see which direction Kent Hughes goes with the Montreal Canadiens. Music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be, and find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. 
Moving into the NBA, and the rumors are that Frank Vogel could take the fall for the LA Lakers struggles this season as it's obviously not gone well in LA this year uh, for the one of the most storied franchises, not only in the National Basketball Association, but in all of sports, really. If the playoffs were to start today, the Lakers would be taking on the Minnesota Timberwolves in the play-in game. And then they would have to face, if, I mean, if they win, they're in. Uh, and then they would be facing the Golden State Warriors in the first round. So not exactly where the LA Lakers thought they would be. Uh, again, they are currently tied with Minnesota for seventh, half a game up on the Clippers for ninth. Uh, that is three and a half games up on Portland for 10th. And they are five games up on the Sacramento Kings who are sitting in 11th. Not necessarily the neighborhood we thought the Lakers would be hanging out in all season long. But it is blowing my mind that Frank Vogel would take any type of the fall for this one. You took a team that was perfectly built for this coach, traded a lot of those pieces away, and then built a team that does exactly zero of the things that made you successful over the last couple of years. How'd you think this was going to go? What was the best case scenario for all of this? THT takes a gigantic step forward. The NBA all of a sudden doesn't, goes back to not really caring about defense. And Russell Westbrook all of a sudden can shoot threes and is the most unselfish player in the history of the National Basketball Association. We're doing a lot of work to try to get to that point. It's, I just, I can't, I, I can't wrap my head around this one. And again, when you have LeBron and you have AD, you're not exactly just focused on, well, let's see if we can build the best Frank Vogel basketball team. But they didn't build the best basketball team for any coach. Phil Jackson's not making this any more successful. Pat Riley, Red Auerbach coming back is not making this uh, overly successful. You, you, can't, you can't put this roster together with so many flaws, have almost all of those flaws play out, have a bunch of injuries because you built a team of a bunch of 30-year-olds, and then go, oh, well, I mean, the issue is clearly the coach. And I, I get, like, I, I fully understand that a general manager very rarely is going to go, yeah, this one's on me. I didn't put a, a good roster out there for the coach. That, that's on me. That ain't happening these days. But this is such a flawed team. I, I really don't know any coach that could get out of this. And, and the thought of choosing to keep Russell Westbrook, and I get one is easier to get rid of than the other, but keeping this version of this team over that coach is insane to me. They already made the wrong choice um, in keeping um, Horton Tucker over Caruso, and then in taking Westbrook over almost anyone. This is such a horribly built team, and I don't think Vogel should pay the price for it. If he does, then you have a very good coach um, that has all of a sudden become available. That being said, I don't know what else the Lakers can do if they want to change their fortune, uh, their fortunes, unless you are getting someone to take on that Russ contract. There's just not a lot of options for this group. Like the, the best case scenario is you get super lucky in the buyout market, but then even then, like is Goran Dragic coming in and taking this team over the top? Probably not. This is such a fascinating Laker team. And I, I thought going into the season, well, you have LeBron and you have AD. So really what does it matter? You're like, if this team finishes sixth in the the West, who cares? But now you have seen Phoenix isn't going away. You have seen Golden State is back, baby. Um, we, we have seen the Utah Jazz, at least regular season, 
they're pretty good. Like you, you start stacking it up and oh, well, maybe the West is actually still pretty all right. Like it's not the West that we've seen a couple of over the last, I mean, couple of decades, really, when you think about it. But this isn't just a clear path to the finals for LeBron and the Lakers anymore. And it's almost like they ran this team like they thought it was going to be. I just, I really don't see what this group thought was going to happen. Like with how this has played out, this is really the logical way that this was going to go. This this whole thing is all the most likely direction that this all could have gone. Um, moving to the Eastern Conference, there is a lot of blame, I think, to go around for what has happened to Kevin Durant. He goes down with an injury. He's going to be out for a few weeks. And for Brooklyn, it's certainly not panic button time, but he was the glue that was keeping this team together. And now you have a star that can only play uh, between a half and a third of the games. You have uh, another superstar who might have eaten his way out of superstardom. And that's being unfair. This is just the, the ravages of time taking over. But you are now starting to see that this bulletproof Brooklyn Nets team maybe isn't as bulletproof as we thought and they've had to rely a lot on Kevin Durant and now he is gone so what do they do the answer to that is really I don't know but in terms of who's to blame for this situation I think the main one is Kyrie and again a lot of people are going to take that a lot of different ways but if Kyrie is around then KD doesn't have to play all those minutes and the risk of injury goes down and I do quickly want to say Injuries can happen, right? Like, this is professional sports. These are professional athletes. This is Kevin Durant, who has been injured before. This type of stuff does happen every now and then. This one, you could very easily just write this off as bad luck and move on. And that's probably the most mature way Brooklyn can go about it. But I do think that you have to look into some things. And it's because of that that I also think Steve Nash... I also think Steve Nash needs to get some blame too. As much as I love the can-do attitude of going balls to the wall in the regular season, and as much as Steve Nash is one of my like top two favorite players of all time, there's a point where it becomes detrimental and we have now reached that. Kevin Durant played in 40 minutes eight times this season. Now, admittedly, a couple of those are overtime games, but he probably didn't need 41 minutes against Portland, or he probably didn't need to reach the 40-point plateau against Detroit. And sometimes they needed him to win those basketball games, but I would rather win basketball games in May than win basketball games in November. And I understand the East is tight, but this team needs to be focused on winning a championship, not the one seed. I think that with Kevin Durant and with Kyrie, if you have to go into Chicago for Game 7, I think you're feeling okay about that situation. You have probably the two best players in that game. You should be all right. I think there needed to be a little bit more focus on keeping Kevin Durant healthy. And the frustrating thing is, a lot of people are going to hear that and go, see, load management, need to rest these guys. And that's not what I am saying. I don't, If Kevin Durant plays all 82, bravo. I, I, I mean, he can't now, but... If they had Kevin Durant play all 82 games, then I, I will give them a standing ovation. We know how I feel about guys just taking full nights off. But there's there's a difference between just like in a video game, holding down the turbo button the whole game and maybe pacing yourself a touch. Kevin Durant right now is currently averaging, like I said, um, or the minutes wise, he's at 36 minutes a game. But like I said before, eight games, he played over 40 minutes. If you can get that average down to... 32 in the regular season and maybe build it up in the postseason. Maybe you're not dealing with this injury issue. But I, I think for, for Steve Nash, this is a learning experience from a very competitive head coach on a team that has had a lot of issues that a young coach maybe shouldn't have to deal with. 
Last one today on the show. The Ultimate Fighting Championship this weekend uh, presents UFC 270. In the main event, it is Francis Ngannou taking on Cyril Gaon. As Ngannou looks to unify the heavyweight championship, he is the main champion. Cyril Gaon is technically the interim heavyweight champion. And we are at a point where Francis Ngannou is a superstar, but I believe the UFC has tried to kill this cash cow more often than they have helped it. This is the spot that many thought we would have for Ngannou when he burst onto the scene and he turned Alistair Overeem into a Pez dispenser. But the road here has not gone as smoothly as it probably should have. The first part of this is on Ngannou, right? Like he, he loses to Stipe Miocic. That, that's not the promotion's fault that he lost to the, the heavyweight champion. We have seen though with young fighters, uh, and as we've seen with this particular fighter, this was an opportunity to learn and to evolve from this. But it felt like the promotion took this loss personally for for, for Dana White and, and company. It felt like they were like, we built this guy up to be our next Mike Tyson, and then he lost. We can't trust this guy ever again. And that's just the, the wrong way to look at this. First, following the defeat, they put Francis Ngannou in there with Derek Lewis, who certainly can bring the thunder, but he also can be a little boring at times. And that's the fight that we got. That fight did absolutely no favors for Francis Ngannou, a guy who has felt like he has had star potential for years. Following that, Ngannou gets another wrestler in Curtis Blades. And this is where Ngannou turns back into the superhero we thought he would be. From this fight on until this exact moment here, January 19th, in the year of our fighting gods, 2022, Francis Ngannou spent a total of 8 minutes and 33 seconds in the octagon, spread out over 5 fights. He has turned back into that superhero that we thought he would turn into. But at the time where other potential stars would be getting the treatment befitting of their status, Ngannou had to wade through worst-case scenario twice and then he's just kind of left in this limbo while the, the promotion is figuring out things with their heavyweight championship at just the worst possible time and it's here where Dana White just can't help himself at this point with a dynamic champion like a Conor McGregor or a Jorge Masvidal they'd be getting the star treatment they'd be on ESPN all of the time you'd be hearing them talking up this guy always and it seems like Nganu has been undercut at every turn White has publicly bashed his heavyweight champion for being difficult to work with at a time where Nganu was really starting to put it together and look like he was evolving as a mixed martial artist into not just the boss from Mike Tyson's punch out but an actual legitimate mixed martial artist he fought once in 2020 and once in 2021 and then when Nganu wouldn't take a fight a month early as the champion the promotion creates an interim title, took every opportunity to throw Ngannou under the bus because they wanted to pop a number in Houston for Derek Lewis. So again, the promotion is choosing Derek Lewis's best interests over their champion's best interests. And this, I think, has been another example of how the UFC, as much as they like to tell you they do, the UFC doesn't make stars. They just give them a platform for the people who turn themselves into stars, which, to their credit, Francis Ngannou has done. And I know... There are a lot of people out there who are going to say, well, the UFC shouldn't have to baby these guys, that this is the ultimate proving ground, that this is high-level competition. The NHL doesn't have to cultivate their stars. The NHL doesn't have to cater things to, to all of their stars. First off, yes, the fuck they do. Look at the NFL and all of the rules that are beneficial to quarterbacks and protecting those quarterbacks. That's done 
for a reason. It's because those dudes are the stars. So let's not blindly wade through all these waters and just suggest that no other sport does this shit. But also, if the the actual model, which is what it kind of looks like to me, is the UFC doesn't make these guys into stars, they just have this giant platform, so when you turn yourself into a star, we can help that star shine brighter than anywhere else. Then, I think the pay structure should reflect that, because that seems like a, let's say, 50-50 bargain, shall we? Well, in 2019, the New York Post reported that UFC fighters received 16% of UFC revenues. one six six. According to Bloody Elbow, fighter pay has gone up 1.5 times what it was in 2005, while the UFC's revenue has gone up 3.4 times what it was in 2005. So yes, the traditionalists could say, it's not up to the UFC to baby these guys into being stars, it is on their athletic achievements that they should be able to, to do that. But if that's the case, why does the UFC get all of the financial benefit from that? And also, let's not pretend that the UFC hasn't bent over backwards for stars like Conor McGregor, who they only give him a wrestler on like three days notice when the guy hasn't had a training camp to fully get ready. Interesting how that worked. But then this dude, who everyone's worried about is wrestling, oh, let's give him back-to-back -back wrestlers in a row. Hmm, little interesting. This guy has been, for a while, one of the biggest potential stars the UFC has had in quite some time. And he has a chance to add to his legacy this weekend. A legacy that the UFC should have celebrated, but instead, it really feels like they've hindered. And if Jake Paul, or if anyone else wants to prove that they can do what Dana White does only better. And if they need another example of how the UFC is not treating their high level fighters as appropriately as those guys deserve, Francis Ngannou is the perfect exhibit A for that. Uh, and we will see what happens. We know he's walking in to the Octagon on Saturday night as the heavyweight champion. If he walks out as the heavyweight champion, things get real interesting because the contract negotiations and the contract disputes between these two camps have been insufferable for a while. That's going to do it for the program today. Thank you all so much for tuning in and thank you to Clearwater Cleaning Solutions, the studio sponsor for Couch Potato Diary. Call Clearwater Cleaning Solutions at 403-274-3998 and book a residential cleaning this week and go into a draw to win your cleaning on them. That is 403-274-3998 and mention that you're calling from the podcast. Uh, you can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I am at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK. Hoping to hop back on Twitch tomorrow for more all-time Flames action on there. You can email the show, any thoughts, um, if you want to sponsor the show or anything, send it my way, couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. The music that you listen to is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram at Wasted Talent with X's where the A's would be. And find their producer on Instagram at Tommy Fresh Music. The other podcast, that I, uh, one of the other podcasts that I'm on, We Had No Idea, just released earlier today, early this morning. It was an episode on conspiracy theories. We had too much fun. So download that one. You can find it on Instagram at We Had No Idea podcast. That's it for me today. See you guys on Twitch tomorrow and talk to y'all on Friday for an NFL preview and a full UFC preview. Gonna be a fun one. Hope you guys have a good day and hope to talk to you guys later this week. I'm out.